Hello and welcome to another episode of Bikini Things. You got your girl Laura here in the home studio and today I have got an awesome episode for you guys. I am sitting down with IFBB Classic Physique Pro and head coach and CEO of Precision Elite, Will Sage. Stay tuned. This is going to be a great episode. You don't want to miss it. We are good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, Will. I'm super excited to chat with you. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, it's been a day, you know, it's, uh, I'm over here in Texas right now and it is uh, 9 p.m. So, you know, just the last thing I got to do today and then I'm just going to wind down after this. Um, so yeah, just enjoying life. So oh, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, especially, especially given that it's 9 p.m your time. So really, really, really excited to chat with you. Um, so just for a brief introduction for those that maybe don't know you currently classic, classic physique pro previously competed mm-hmm. as a men's physique pro would love to hear just a little more about your, your fitness journey and kind of how you got started, what, what your journey has been like as a competitor. Yeah. So honestly, my journey is one of, you won't hear many people like have this extensive I feel like a journey um basically I was a really really small guy like when I first started uh, training I mean I think like my freshman sophomore year of high school I was like 120 pounds um so just like like and I've been this tall since like the sixth grade I had a giant how tall are you I'm not very tall I'm five seven (laughs) I think like literally I was like within the five six in like sixth grade and I haven't grown since like I grew like two centimeters and that's it. Um, but I'm like five, seven, like almost on the dot. Um, and I'm just like, been a super, super small person. So I started training. Um, actually I started getting like in eighth grade, um, started training more in high school and really started getting obsessed with bodybuilding, um, about my senior year. And I'm by no means old. I'm 28. Um, so yeah, I'm by no means old. I'm 28, but I feel like, uh, at that point, bodybuilding wasn't where it's at now so now you have like a bunch of people in high school and they're like killing it in the gym you know what i mean bodybuilding still wasn't like crazy for like younger people you know yeah um, so yeah and even for, even any... for women yeah it's yeah yeah a lot. same thing same thing and um i didn't know many people who bodybuilded so i really like that's when instagram first started becoming a thing and uh i uh followed a few people from california actually and i was like you know what i'm gonna learn as much as i can so instead of going home every day uh, my senior new year, I would just, or in play video games, I would be on like bodybuilding.com because that was like the thing back then. Um, and just like diving into like everything, like every nutrition plan, every meal plan, every training style. Um, and then I ended up learning a bunch and I coached myself for my first show in 2013. Um, I graduated 2012 and then did my first show in 2013 and actually took the overall. Um, and that was in Michigan because I'm originally from Michigan. Um, from there, I'm, I'm from a like about a mile from the Michigan border. My dad lived in Michigan when I was growing up. Okay. Really? What part? Yeah. Yeah. So he was living in uh, Benton Harbor. So my, oh, okay. my mom yeah. was very living familiar. in South Bend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Very cool. Yep. Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, so I grew up in Michigan and uh, did my first show. I took the overall. Um, then I joined the military. So I had to take uh, like a year to two off. Um, and then I did my next show um, 2015. Um, and really from there, it was just a grind. I had to put on all this, you know, amounts of muscle. 
Um, I did so many freaking shows. I, I honestly can't even tell you how many shows I've done. It's, it's probably in like the mid twenties, most likely. Um, which for a guy, like, I know like bikini competitors compete a little bit more often. You know what I mean? So like for me, like being at like, even like 27 shows or something like that, like it's quite a bit. Um, and I didn't even do a national show until after I did like five or six shows. And then I got into, you know, the national circuit and I actually, it took me seven national shows to get my pro card, like friggin' seven. And mm. I feel like, you know, like so many people doubted me. So many people were like, you're not going to get your pro card. And I was like, no, fuck that. Um, I'm going to get a pro card. I'm not one to give up. Um, so I just kept going. I kept going. I kept going. Um, 2018, I took like fourth place three times in a row at Junior Nats University USA. Um, and then I was like, all right, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> and I just like full off season, like that is where like everything changed. And I put on 20 pounds of muscle in that off season. Wow. Came 2019, yep, came 2019 pro card for stress. And I was like, all right. And the great part about that, that I feel like people misunderstand is people, they join or they, they start bodybuilding. They do a show. They're like, I want to go pro. Right. And they think they're going to get on the first try. Some do. You know what I mean? But like, that's like what the genetic two. Very rare. It's very rare. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then the ones who do, they enter a pro show. Most of the time they enter pro show and they fucking smash. You know what I mean? So the cool Mm -hmm. part was, is like, I built myself like up over so much time going through all those national shows. Again, seven, it took me to get my pro card. That when I did my pro debut, I got third. I did my pro debut a few months after I got my pro card. You know? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I think I was at that show. I feel, I remember, yeah, so, I remember it. Yeah. Yep, yeah. You did great. Yep, it was a uh, border, border states or mm-hmm. uh, no Titan, Titan Grand Prix. That was it. It was, it was one of the, Prix. it was in uh, um, Culver city, right? It was in Culver oh, city. Gosh. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. I was in Culver city. And um, yeah, basically like moral of that story is like one, I ate shit for so fucking long that one, it taught me how to lose. <laughs> you know what I mean? You lose so many times that when you start winning, it's just so humbling. Whereas I feel like you have a lot of people, they win so much at the beginning that when they start losing, it takes such a mental toll on them. So obviously learned how to lose. And then from there on, it's been great as a pro. Um, did that show. Um, and then really just only did one other men's physique show and then went into classic. That's that's a pretty incredible story. So let me ask you this, because most I think most people would give up before they even got to seven national shows. I, I definitely yeah. do know some people who have gotten, you know, have gotten up that high. What, I mean, what kept you motivated? Cause that's just, that's, it's so commendable because there's so much persistence and just willpower. I think that goes into not giving up after so many attempts that don't end in the outcome that we're looking for. Like what, what carried you through that time period? To be honest, like I doubted myself, of course, you're going to doubt yourself when that happens. You know what I mean? Um, and really to tell you the truth, like I've never been one to be a quitter. I like kind of messed up in the mind that like, if I do something, I have to be the best at it. And if I don't, it just eats at me. Um, and bodybuilding is the one thing that like, I just have such a freaking passion for Like, Like, even though I was losing, like, I just love doing it. And, um, like growing up, I was a phenomenal soccer player, but I come from a very poor family and we cannot afford to put me in those expensive club teams. But I, I was a great soccer player, held school records in high school. Uh, and then really, I just went so hard at it for so long. I just burnt out. You know what I mean? And then I, a lot of people don't know this, but I was a, I was a, uh, went into like very briefly a professional snowboarder as well. Um, didn't really wow. see a future in that because if you get hurt, you're like, you're done. You know what I mean? Like you have nothing to fall back on. Um, that's why I joined, decided to join the military instead. 
Um, but I had a lot of regret from like not pursuing that passion even further um, when I had like such a bright future in it. And I was like, you know what? Not many people get the chance to go pro at one thing, let alone two to three things. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. like, and I, I knew like, I knew if I stopped, I like would never freaking let myself like live that, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So honestly, that held so much weight. And then again, just like the passion for the sport too, like definitely those two things. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's incredible to be, be a high, you know, talented soccer player, professional, professional snowboarder, then turn pro bodybuilder. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So what did, what did you do in terms of, of gaining size, like making improvements year to year? Because again, you know, there's, and you mentioned too, you're right. Bikini competitors definitely do compete more often. I think, you know, bikini, bikini is pretty, pretty mild in terms of all the different divisions of what the preps require and how intense Mm -hmm. it is on our, on our bodies. Right. So bikini athletes can compete a little more often. What are maybe some things that you did or things that you, that you think allowed you to be successful competing, you know, year over year, trying to add size, trying to make improvements. Um, what do you think were some of the the biggest things that allowed you to be successful? Yeah. So one of them is obviously like, you know, like obviously like elephant in the room is like having a good coach, you know, having a good coach that's going to tell you like how it is not going to sugarcoat anything, like just be straight up with you, you know, like, like if you're feeling hurt, they get hurt, you know, but at the end of the day, someone is going to be straight up with you, not like sugarcoat anything. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two, it would be like, and this goes hand in hand with having a good coach is like not riding the extreme either way. What I mean about that is like not being obsessed with being shredded and also not being obsessed with food after you're shredded. You know what I mean? So like yeah. <laughs> I wasn't fluctuating like 30, 40 pounds, just like that. You know what I mean? Like I was doing things right. I mean, I feel like most people like binge after their first show. After my first show, I did that. I put on a bunch of weight and I was like, okay, I don't like how that went. That's never going to happen again. You know what I mean? Um, and from there, it's just like really understanding the end goal. And I think having a click in your head that says like, okay, the off season doesn't mean just like going off the wagon. It's literally like the pre-prep. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I treated it like prep. That's what I did. I treated it like prep. And I did that for so many years and just the consistency of that just really compounded over time. And honestly, I think every year I got better at that. I almost like doubled in how much muscle I put on, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. I just got better at it, you know? Um, and with that, it's just also constantly learning and never like staying the same. So my training has, if you saw my training from eight years ago to today, like it's night and day different, you know, it's evolved every single year, training intensity, training style. Um, again, like, I don't naturally put on a lot of size. So I had to be really nitpicky about how I train and really, really learn how to train the right way. And then once I did, it was just like, I started blowing up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, like high volume, that stuff doesn't work. Like I have to get under heavy weight. I have to push to pretty much failure every single set, like agonizing pain. And it's really, once I started tapping into that, I just started growing. Awesome. Are there, are there other things you've done differently with your training that you think have allowed you to put on so much size over time? Um, yeah, again, like going back to that volume, I swear, like, you know, AJ, right? So AJ Quinton, yeah, like me, and yeah. be, me and him used to be training partners, right? And dude, mm-hmm. I swear we'd be in the gym for like three hours, like thinking that like we're extreme and we would be doing like drop sets, super sets, like everything. And to tell you the truth, I started like, I'm like, dude, why am I not growing? 
And over time, I started realizing like less is way more. And to tell you the truth now, like I just trained legs, like my legs, like I could hardly walk today. I trained legs yesterday and they were just completely annihilated. And yesterday I did, I did nine sets. Dang. Yeah. And it's just like a set to me though, is like treating it like, like there's a gun to your head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like when I say nine sets, people are like, oh, that's not enough work. But if you're going to complete an utter failure and like to the point you want to cry, it's way more than enough work. And I think learning to do that, over, it took me time to do that though. I mean, it took me years to get to that point. And that was the biggest thing with training that just took me to another level. And then obviously like I did switch over to classic and mm-hmm. it was like applying that, like my legs did have to come up. I always train them, but they did have to come up. Um, so it was just applying that to my legs, except for just splitting it up from just a leg day to a quad day and a gluten hamstring day. And just same principles apply. And just doing that over and over and over again. And like literally running the same training split for like months at a time. Like I think um, my transition from men's physique to classic, I think I did the same training split for nine months. Didn't change a movement at all. And wow. I think a lot of people, they, they get bored. They get mm-hmm. bored with the training. And what I said, I'm like, if you're getting bored of training, you're not training hard enough. You know what I mean? Like, you're simply not training hard enough. Like, for me, mm-hmm. those numbers were always moving. And I did hit plateaus. Like, I would hit maybe, like, two months where the numbers didn't move at all. But the thing is, like, you break through those. It takes time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, sure enough, I broke through them doing the same exact movement. And it's literally just getting, like, what's the same? Like, um, you know, Bruce Lee it said, like, I fear no man who can do, like, a thousand kicks with the one who can do one kick, like, 10,000 times or whatever. Um same same principle it's like you get so good at these movements that you're able to just like perfect them progress them and just so like uh for better lack of terms just like balls to the wall just like just crazy like intense yeah yeah for me if i if i know i'm gonna be doing a really intense workout or something it's almost like a, a sense of nervousness like i'll get nervous oh yeah for the uh, gym <laughs> yeah dude like literally like i always say i'm like for people like for people who say they like leg day i'm like that's fucking bullshit. I was like, I fucking hate leg day. I cannot stand leg day because I know every leg day, like I, I like want to like vomit every single one. If not, I do vomit. And it's just like, no one likes feeling like they want to throw up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care who you are. And like, yeah, that pre, that pre leg day anxiety is freaking awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's some, that's some really great advice. And just to, just to kind of put it in perspective, Cause I would say definitely a lot of, a lot of listeners of the podcast are maybe new competitors. Right. So, so nine sets in a workout, definitely low volume on the high side. That would be what, like, you know, say maybe like 20 plus sets in a workout. Roughly. Yes, that's, that's right. correct. Yeah. Probably yeah. 20 plus sets, but keep in mind when I say like sets, I only count working sets. So there are like warm up sets leading up to that or acclimation sets, whatever you want to call them, theater sets. Um, basically like when I write, when I write my training programs for clients, I like have my mentality in mind and like how I want them to train. And I'm like, I feel like most people, when you like, let's say you give someone a program of like, let's say like someone says like three sets of 10, you know, I I hate that. Hate when I see that in a program, but let's say it's like three sets of 10 people normally like will pick up a weight, do one warm up set. And then like their next set, they count as their set. I mean, for me, it's like a set is not counted until you are freaking struggling. Once you are struggling, that is where your sets count. Like where you're like really, really, really pushing. So like these sets are literally only those sets where I'm like complete and utterly dying. Yeah, I mean everything before that I consider a warm up set. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's that's um 
yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. And um, I know, I know I hit you up recently because I'm kind of going through the same thing as, as I would consider myself a newer coach and trying to figure out how to, how to teach newer athletes to learn how to train with the right intensity. So that's really, um, that's, that's great advice. How did you, so how did you go about that transition from, like you said, you had to make that transition from men's physique to classic. So adding in a little bit more leg training, but just at the pro level, both of those, both men's physique and classic are extremely competitive and you managed to do, you know, very, very well placing top five at your pro debut for both divisions. How did you go about making that transition? How did you know, you know, how to switch up your, your training, your meals, all of that? Um, to be honest, like <laughs> if it wasn't for my coach, so I'm coached by Ariel Alberto, you probably know that, um, team cuts. And, um, if it wasn't for him, like he's like a brother to me, like me and him have been working together for eight years. Um, and like, literally when I say he's as close, I, I literally, my, I only have three sisters. I don't have any brothers. He's literally the closest thing to a brother I have. We talk 24 seven. We talk every day. Um, and we were just having this conversation at first. It was just like, we were messing around. Oh, like let's go classic. And then I started jumping into some classic poses and he's like, we're doing classic next year. And I was like, shut the fuck up. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I was like, cause he knew I've always wanted to. And he was like, dude, you train. He's like, all right. Like, I don't want to, I don't care if I offend anyone. Um, but he's like, you don't train like a men's physique competitor, man. Like you're a bodybuilder. Like you train harder than most bodybuilders. I know you get like utterly shredded, like freaky. Cause I get like super vascular and super grainy. He's like, you, you are a bodybuilder. And it's time you go that route. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I was like, let's do it. But even then, when he said that, like, I would still check in in my men's physique poses. Like, I would do, like, classic <laughs> poses in my men's physique yeah. poses. Because, dude, I was so in my head. I was like, dude, are we really going to jump from pro men's physique straight to pro classic physique? Like, it'd be different if, like, because, you know, like, as a pro, you can really do any division you want. Mm-hmm. Like, you okay. can. not saying it will look good. Yeah. Um, but let's. Let's say you had to like go from men's physique and you had to start all over and go back into amateur classic, right? I'd be like, oh, easy. But the fact of going from pro men's physique to pro classic physique was just like such a mental block in my brain. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, if I'm really going to do this, I have to bring my training up to a whole nother level, often into a whole nother level. Um, and like basically that's what we did. Um, I'll touch on that second. Um, but again, like I would send him those men's physique, send those classic poses. And then one day he was like, never send me a men's physique pose again. He's like, you look stupid. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, damn. I was like, all right. And so like, that was the point where I like fully committed and I needed that. I was like, all right, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. And we did an off season and dude, we had to put so much food that I'm not even joking. Like at least once a day I was in the toilet throwing up um, oh, just from, yeah like just the volume of food like if if i was if i was on a leg day and someone spoke about food i would go to the trash can not because of the leg day just because like one you're huffing and puffing from the leg day yeah and then you get that thought of food and as soon as that thought of food hit me i would run to the trash can because like that the thought of food made me want to gag um so that's how much food i was pushing um and again like dude i hated my life I was like, I had no hunger, like signaling at all. I was never hungry. I was smashing food just like 24 seven. I'm talking like 400 grams of rice a meal, like just not fun. And then on top of that, my training obviously had to go to another level. 
So like I had to go to a really dark place for that. I had to like literally meditate in my car before every session, go into the session and just be like, have that in the back of my head that I'm going through that transition. And to be honest, I didn't think my intensity could get any greater, but it could, and it did. So really it was like really gun to the head mentality. Like if you had a gun to your head and you could do another rep, would you do it? You know what I mean? It was like Mm -hmm. that type of mentality. Um, And then I did have a training partner at the time in San Diego and like we just pushed each other to like our goal was to just destroy each other every single session and that's where like having a good training partner comes in um and so like basically that's what I did it was just like identify my weak points which were my delts and my legs clearly um and it was just like adding those in at more volume at the same intensity so instead of maybe doing um that's for, I don't know, how, I don't remember how many sets I was doing, but let's say I was doing sex or sex, six sets of delts a week. I went up and I did 10 to 12. I just split them between two days, same intensity, and I hammered them. And then obviously I split up the legs. I did the same thing. I split them up between a hamstring and a quad day and just annihilated them completely. Nice. Do you, do you know, just, I'm kind of curious. Um, do you know how high like your calories or your food got? during that time or um, in that off season? Honestly, we got to the point where we had to add in like a lot of cheats. And I would say like, even on those cheat days, like, honestly, I don't think they were super high. Just like, I'm not a suit. Like I used to be able to eat a lot. And then after bodybuilding for so many years, like I just don't have a huge appetite. I think I was chilling around like 55, 6,000 calories. Um, and then obviously like on days I would get cheats, that would probably bump up to like 7,000. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's a lot of food. That's started, a lot of food. Yeah. As soon as I start hitting like 45, I'm normally like, uh, I don't want to keep going. Um, but obviously you have to, but I started doing things like I started like drinking a lot of pomegranate juice. Um, if listeners don't know, pomegranate juice is just loaded with carbs. I think like eight ounces of pomegranate juice or 10 ounces has like 60 grams of carbs. So breakfast, oh, pomegranate, so pomegranate yeah. juice, like 10, ounce, 10 ounces, three, day, three times a day, um, rice, crispy cereal, bagels, English muffins, like a shit ton of rice um and basically it was just pounding that and i honestly got to the point where i was like just eating as much as i could and just like if i could eat it i would yeah that's tough no i and, and here's the thing well is like i completely relate to you because um you know i'm sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum as like a six foot tall bikini competitor i've had mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time in off season and a lot of time trying to eat more than i actually want to um so yep, you gotta yeah, fill so, up that frame you know what i mean yeah yeah. And I'm still like, you know, I'm getting closer, but yeah, I'm still not quite there, but it's a, it's a tricky game because if I get too big, I won't look like a bikini girl anymore either. Um, nope. but yeah, I definitely relate to that. Like bagel, you know, off season bagels, simple carbs, whatever, whatever you can do to kind of like get all the food in. So. At that point, it like doesn't matter. Like at the point of shoveling so much carbs, like it really matters. Even like fats, it's like, okay, how can I get more fast? And all right, let's start adding in like MCT oil. Let's start adding in coconut oil. And at that point, you're not like people say like, you know, no fats post-workout. It doesn't matter at that point. Cause all the meals are overlapping at that point. It's like, just getting <laughs> you're just full, yeah. you're just full all the time. Like your digestive system yep. just never gets a break. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I totally get it. I don't know of many girls that have done this. Like I used to do like the mass gainer shakes and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause for a while I was working with mutant supplements and they had a good mass gainer and love, love any of those tips. That's awesome. So how long, how long did you spend in that off season before you yeah. did your classic debut? Um, let's see. 
So it wasn't even like a year, wasn't anything crazy like that. It was 10 months, uh, 10 months of a growing phase. Um, and then I think my stage weight difference was about like 15, 16 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. So, so kind of in that same line, I'd love to, I'd love to kind of pick your brain a little bit because, you know, you had, you were successful as a men's physique athlete, you know, obviously, you know, knew the posing, the training, all of what goes into that. And then, you know, had to sort of transition, switch up what you're doing for classic physique and in your team precision, precision elite, you've got a lot of competitors in pretty much every division that have done so well. And I mean, especially definitely the men's side, but especially the women's side, how do you go about learning all these different divisions and determining, okay, what's an appropriate training program, you know, meal plans, macros, whatnot for all of these different divisions that have at the end of the day, different aesthetics, you know, different, different looks. And then you're not only taking that, but then you're taking, you know, different starting points, different genders. How do, how do Mm -hmm. you even go about learning all that? Dude, honestly, it has been a process. It really has. Because I feel like most coaches, they kind of specialize in one or the other, men or women. And um, there's plenty of coaches who do well at both, but also, like, on the same end, there's not many who do. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And most of the ones who do well at both, like, are very, very well known. Um, and honestly, it was a lot of time learning. I mean, I've mentored, I mentored under Ariel for six years before I even started coaching like literally because like i'm the type of person like, i don't like going and blind on things so i'm like okay i want to learn as much as i can so like when i am coaching people like when i'm asked like this question i know how to answer it so that covered most of the guy end, the men end of the things and then i was like okay i need to learn everything i can about women now so like i had a deep dive and i've probably spent like i couldn't even tell you how many hours I've spent into continued education into picking people's brains. Um, cause obviously you can't really coach women without understanding how hormones work. Um, cause obviously PEDs are involved in the sport and those have a drastic effect on hormones. Um, so I'm like, okay, I need to know everything to handle every situation that comes at me with hormones. Um, so I did the same thing. I mentored under people. I put so many, like literally I would spend like four hours a night, um, researching, just like trying to figure everything out. Um, and I got to the point where I got really good at it. Um, so then I'm like, okay, now it's time to coach women. Right. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, like I said, like I have such a passion for this sport and it's not just for myself, to be honest, I get more excited when I put competitors on stage than when I step on stage. And in the same way, I get more stressed when I put competitors on stage (laughs) than when I go on stage, like when I go on stage, I'm like, whatever, I put competitors on stage dude i'm like a mess like i'm not even gonna lie like yeah i get so freaking stressed um but i just have such a passion for the sport and um to be honest um that goes for all divisions like i watch all divisions i keep up with all divisions um and i knew if i wanted to coach every single division i had to know the look so literally like i have spent hours like studying each division knowing what the judges want even talking to judges um just figuring out what exact what they want and then obviously like I'm sure most of the, comp- like, the people listening to the podcast, they know, like, um, you know, I was with Marissa Wu for a long time. Um, and me and her, like, we went through, we were amateurs together. We turned pro together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I really helped her along that journey. And she helped me, too, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it really made me understand the bikini division very, very well. I feel like more than most people, because I was just in it all the time. 
Um, and then it got to the point where I started coaching her. Um, and then we literally were like one spot away from getting our Olympia qualification. You know what I mean? And it was just, again, just like being submerged into it all the time to really understand the look, uh, going to every single pro show, mm -hmm. understanding what, where are the judges looking at? What are they going for more conditioning? Are they going for more soft and understanding because I don't care who says it, but there is a difference between judges. Some judges like a little bit harder look, some judges like a little softer look. I'm sure you see it yeah. all the time. It's also understanding which judge like which, you know, it should be universal, yeah. it's not always that way. Um, and so again, it's just being submerged in it all the time. So that transition to all the classes, just researching, studying it. Um, and that's basically how I got the look down for each division. Um, and then obviously you, you talked about like the nutrition aspect of things and all of that. And the training honestly doesn't change too much intensity wise, but obviously it changes division as far as exercise selection, um, mm -hmm. rep scheme, um, all of that. And then you also have to get in, especially for bikini. Oh, your quads are too big. You know what I mean? Okay. What can we do now to grow your glutes without growing your quads? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or even downsizing, downsizing your quads, which I did with a lot of females um, this past year. I downsized their quads, brought their glutes and hamstrings out. And it's just understanding very, very precise exercise selection. But mm -hmm. I, the thing that kept, stayed universal was the intensity. I kept the intensity, but just really worked around what they needed and what we needed to get rid of. Um, and it's that way with each division. Each division needs some more of something. You know what I mean? Or like take men's physique, really men's physique is all about taper. How can we bring out more taper, right? Classic physique, more overall look. Let's get, you know, let's have this symmetry between the legs and the upper body, have that flow come in absolutely shredded, right? It's mm -hmm. understanding um, each division and what's needed for it. So nutrition or training-wise, um, that's basically what I do with the training. And then nutritional-wise is probably where you get the biggest variance um, because these divisions are so different when it comes to nutrition. Um, most like mm -hmm. the thought process is still the same, like how to go into it because thought process into like dieting someone, it's, it's very similar. However, just like based off like muscle mass, start points, like body fat set points, everyone's so freaking different. But keep in mind again, like what I just said, like um, the thought process is the same. Cause I know I have some girls in bikini who can out eat guys in classic physique. You know what I mean? Um, wow. Yeah. And so that does happen. That does, it does happen. You know what I mean? Um, in that case, it's just like very, very similar in how you go about things. Um, however, obviously, like it, you know, it may be taboo to talk about it, but um, the key competitors, like, dude, they got to go low in calories, like more times than not. You know, yeah. whereas like men, you can get away with doing more calories. And I feel like people don't quite understand this. Like, um, you know, a woman, like, I know some people who only focus on men or like understand the men side of things be like oh that's that woman's at 1500 calories and they're like that's too low and i'm like oh man you gotta no. learn about this division because yeah, yeah you know what i mean or they'll be like 45 <laughs> minutes of cardio 45 minutes of cardio is too much and i'm like no no it's not. You know what i mean so <laughs> like not. there's a huge difference there when it comes to the nutrition side of things the cardio side of things i mean most guys i can get away with not having to do over an hour of cardio most women have to do over an hour cardio well over, you know what I mean? Um, so it's just like really understanding yeah. like the needs of each person. But again, you know, you do have those outliers, those women who can eat a ton of um, food. I do have like, I think I got away with like a lot of like women this past year 
not having to go actually go above an hour of cardio, which was freaking amazing. It was just yeah. smart and intelligent um, dieting. It was me yeah. using refeeds when I needed them, which I actually use them more often with women than I do men um, because we don't have as much calories to work with. You know what I mean? Uh, a man, you have like, sometimes you have four times the amount of calories to work with, you know? So it's a lot easier to be honest. And then when it comes to women, I have to use those refeeds more often. Um, I have to pay very, very specific attention to the data that I'm given. Um, I'm like, okay, I've had this woman like, on because I do a lot of carb cycling. You know, I do a lot of carb cycling with women too. And I'm like, okay, you've had five lower days now. I give her, you know, she doesn't gain a pound don't get anything. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give you another high day. Like it's not even set. I literally go day by day um, based mm-hmm. on how they're looking, how they're responding. Um, and really like, that's how you compensate for the variances between the division. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of, um, a lot of good knowledge in there. And that's, I'm sure that I'm sure your athletes appreciate that too, because especially if you're going day by day with them, you know, you're, you're paying attention, you're giving them a lot of, you know, a lot of interaction, making them feel supported. And, and most likely too, they're going to have a better outcome right at the end of the day. Uh, you're absolutely right about bikini. It's, it's pretty intense for most women. Like there's, there's no shortage of coaches that will put women on protocols that are like, you know, by the end of their prep, less than a thousand calories a day. Um, you know, to an extent, is that, is that maybe the best for them? Probably not, but that's, that's sort of the reality sometimes for people. And, and I have to imagine too, you seem like someone who, who is very detail oriented, right. That's like, that's baked into the the name of your coaching team, right. Precision elite. I have to imagine too, that you're also trying to set your athletes up well in their off season. So that by the time they are entering the prep, they're in a good spot with their food. They're in a good spot with cardio. And then the dieting process is that much easier, right. If you, if you have them set up well, as they start their prep. Yeah. And I mean, a great example of that is I had this woman, she <clears throat> competed last year on June time. And um, she got to about, I think her cardio was about um, an hour and a half or an hour and 40 a day. Um, her calories were at 1200, right? And she just went, didn't start at the best position. I didn't have her in her past, past off season. Didn't, like, mm-hmm. her, her off season was just like, it wasn't her fault. It was just poor coaching. Um, won't call anyone out, but it was just poor coaching. And so I'm like, dude, you're, you're going to have to like struggle on this prep. And, you know, like it might've been a little higher or lower on the calories. I don't know the exact number. It might've been, you know, 1100 might've been somewhere around there. Um, but we just did an off season, right? This girl got up to 3,500 calories in off season, just because like she was so precise with everything. And we were just so diligent about getting her hormones under control, her gut under control, and just really allowing for a scenario where she could just thrive in her off season. And then she just um, did like, we just kind of did a prep. She was going to do a show. Um, unfortunately, like we got her like getting her pretty shredded and she's getting married soon after. And she's like, dude, I don't want, and she gets like really bad death face. Like, I don't want to have a death face. My, oh, my no, yeah. like, dude, entirely understand. Like, I, understand like, I, yeah. look, I don't want to look back at it and have a death face. So the point being is like, dude, she was like two pounds above her last stage weight at 1900 calories still. Wow. Okay. Wow, so that's huge amazing. Huge difference yeah. there. Huge difference. Yeah. And her cardio was at 45 minutes. Okay. Huge that's incredible. Difference. Yeah. And then now we hit her reverse. She's about I think, eight weeks reverse now. Her calories are already higher than she was her last off season. And she's only like three pounds above where she was. You know what I mean? Wow. So she's eating 400, 400 grams of carbs a day now. Whereas when I started with her, 
anything above 200 grams of carbs a day, she would gain. Yeah, I mean, so that just shows the importance of setting someone up in the off season directly post show, because that is like that window is where you make your money. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. and directly post show. And this is why I hammer in my athletes. I'm like, dude, you need to be on it post show. Your prep does not end with the show. Your prep ends, you know, after you've reversed correctly, where, hey, you want to go out and eat? You can go out to eat and you'll probably even lose a pound at that point. You know what I mean? And that is where I try to get all my athletes because then when we go into the prep, it, it is so easy. We can get them peeled. We can carve up correctly. We don't have to worry about hormonal aberrations and just really, really nail things. Yeah. And actually I would love if you could maybe expand on that a little bit, you say like, okay, this is where you make your money. Um, that's not an, an analogy, right? So a lot of, a lot of the listeners of the podcast, I would say are newer competitors or newer bikini athletes. So why is that, that post-show window so important? And I guess what can, what can happen either good or bad, depending on how you handle your reverse? Yeah. So especially for the first time listeners, like, again, what I noticed almost every time with first time competitors, almost not every time you do have the people who just kill it. Um, is they do their first show. They don't realize how hard it is one to get lean for a bodybuilding show for a bikini show. And then afterwards they're like, Oh, I'm going to stay on it. And the next thing, you know, they're 20 pounds up in two, three weeks. Right. And that right there, cause there's no, I don't care what says, anyone says there's no such thing as breaking your metabolism. Your metabolism adapts. Right. So it is now by the end of the prep it is now adapted to however low of calories you've gotten to. So think about it, if your body's adapted to like, let's say 1200 calories, right. And you start feeding it 4,000 calories a day, you are going to have such a bad hormonal blowback that literally like if you would have just spent eight weeks or so, just like reversing properly, you'd be fine. But because a lot of these women, they go post-show they binge, they, you know, they have that hormonal blowback. They, what happens a lot of times is the stress is just so high. When stress is high, cortisol is constantly up, right? When cortisol is constantly up, it's stealing from hormones, right? Because cortisol, that's what it does. It steals from hormones. So it's constantly up, all right? And then you start running into issues like estrogen dominance, gut issues. And once you run into gut issues, um, there's a lot of thyroid conversions in the gut. You start running into thyroid issues because the gut issues are have arisen. and it's, there's poor thyroid conversions, right? Um, I won't go too far into that, but basically it creates this cascade of just an awful effect. And then next thing you know, it takes a year and a half to get them back to, you know, hormonal balance, back to a balance to where they can actually prep again. So what I'm, what I like to tell people, I'm like, dude, would you rather spend eight weeks being on point and like, you know, yeah, you're going to get cravings. You're going to have to fight those cravings. Or would you rather spend, you know, a year, a year and a half to fix your friggin' hormones? Um, that way, so you're at a good friggin' spot to, you know, compete again. And a lot of times people bypass this, you know, they, they'll still binge literally. And then the next thing you know, they'll start to prep at 1400 calories. Like that, I don't care. Like that is not a good place to start a prep. Like if you're doing that, you're just digging yourself in a deeper hole. Next thing you know, like you're, you're spending years in like recovery, you know? So mm-hmm. that is why that post-show period is so important. Cause if you nail it, like you nail it, you bring that stress down, you bring that inflammation down. And then you start building up that food correctly and you start, you know, like what I do a lot of times is someone post show, I drop the training. Like I don't pull it out, but I'll drop it from maybe like five, six days a week to four, maybe even three, depending on the person, how stressed they are. Let them show up, let them zen out, right? We start adding the food in. 
you know, their bodies start loving it. Like a lot of times women will even drop more weight, right? Yeah. Because totally. they're so stressed about the show. Now they you remove the stress from the show. You start yeah. adding in food. Their body loves it. That stress goes down even more because you're adding a little bit of food in. Next thing you know, you're increasing food while body weight's going down. Sometimes they even get leaner at first. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's the reality of it. That is the reality of it. So that's why I hammer that into people so hard uh, because that eight-week window, it doesn't have to be eight weeks. For some people, like I've seen people reverse so like four weeks and be at a good spot. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just that window yeah. directly post-show can make or break your next prep. And it can even make or break career, your career for some people, just like depending on who it is. Everyone responds differently. Again, I don't like speaking in absolutes. So like you might have someone, they binge, they go off the wagon and next thing you know, they're completely fine and they're able to prep again. That mm-hmm. does happen too. Uh, but more times than not, you're going to run into the ladder where it's, you know, issues arise. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and there's a, there's a spectrum, right? So it's like, if it happens, if it happens one time, you know, we're all human, your body can probably handle that. Right. But if you're doing it every day or, you know, four or five times a week, that's a, that's a different story. Um, exactly. so that's, yeah, it's a great point. And I think too, I think sometimes, you know, people, maybe if, maybe if we're a little food focused to begin with sometimes where we do get that initial bump in food and we drop weight and we look a little leaner can be misleading, right? Because we'll take that as evidence of, Oh, I can keep doing this and I'm yeah. going to get these same results. It only, that's only going to last, you know, maybe, a, maybe a day or two, you know, no, that first it, exactly. Week. You're, you're entirely right. And that's why I tell you, here's a great tip too, because I know you're a coach too. And so like a lot of times I get my women do a, 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 you know, my women athletes do a point where I can feed them into the show. Right. And then, so they're like, I think most of the women I put on stage last year, like they're eating probably anywhere from 300 to 600 grams of carbs going into the show. Um, they look great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, we had a lot of success as a team last year. And what I told every single one of them, I was like, look, you're enjoying the day push show. I want you to be back on it a hundred percent by Monday. If you can get away with it, only do a breakfast on Sunday. That's it. And they're mm-hmm. like, why? It's only like two days. I'm like, is it only two days though? Think about it. You just spent four days at 400 grams of carbs. Plus you had show day, right? Mm-hmm. Plus you had your cheat at the end of show day. Plus now you're getting to cheat the next day. Like that's almost a week right there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're like, holy shit, you're fucking right. I have been eating all these days. I've been eating great. And mm-hmm. they realize it like that light bulb quick. You know what I mean? Um, so I always tell people like, it's not one or two days. Like you, you've been doing this for like four or five days now. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to like for a whole nother week, that's two weeks right there that like you're completely wrecking yourself, you know? Um, so yeah, that's a great tip that I have for like coaches like that they can tell their athletes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Cause even, even like that, that peak week or the few days leading up to the show at that point, your training might be cut out. You might not be doing cardio. So you're not getting in your typical activity too. Um, yeah, that's a great tip. And I think, I think your comment as well about, you know, the reverse and all that can, can affect, you know, your longevity or your career. I think maybe not so much physically, right. Because, you know, hopefully even, even in extreme cases, hopefully hormones can be rebalanced and whatnot. But I think mm-hmm. it's, especially for women, right. It can affect our, it can affect our mental state and it can affect our sense of self. If we have this prep that, you know, that the end or that last, that last phase is, is something we don't feel good about, or, you know, we don't reverse properly. And then now we're uncomfortable in an off season or we're uncomfortable for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. It can make you question, you know, do I want to keep doing this? Am I cut out for this? And I think, 
mentally it can, it can make it hard to bounce back from if you don't have a really strong belief in yourself or a really strong desire to compete, it can definitely affect the longevity of, especially for a, a female athlete. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent and I've seen it, you know I mean? I've seen it time and time mm-hmm. again. And that's a great point too. That's just like mental aspect of, wow. Like I will have some, you know, some people, and it's not just women, it's men too. They're like, um, they're like, wow, I, I really like messed that up. I'm just not meant for the sport. I'm like, dude, look, I did it my first time. I'm like, look at where I'm at now. You know I mean, like you're, you're fine. You just like need to make the decision now, like where you want this to go, you know? And you touched on something really great um, a few moments ago. I don't even think you realized it. And it was um, when people are food focused, you know, I always tell people like, if you're food focused going into a show, if you're bringing those snacks with you to the show, you're looking at places to eat a week out of the show, right? You've already lost. Like you have already lost. Your mind is elsewhere rather than winning the show. And once you do that, and that's like, I've put the correlation together. Like I've seen it time and time again. Once like, people who are in prep and they're just like looking at food the whole prep and you know, they're bringing all these snacks and cookies and all that to the show. It's like, I'm like, this person is going to mess up the reverse. And normally they always do. And it's not any people like that are like my athletes. I just see it again with like other athletes and stuff. And I always notice the people who don't bring anything to the show, the people who they're just like laser focused. Those are the people that just continue to destroy it after the show too. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and that's not everyone, of course, but that's just, but there's, I, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. There's definitely a strong correlation. Um, I've seen it and I know for myself too, right. Is my, my first year competing, which was 2017. Mm-hmm. I did a few shows and, uh, I had a, you know, kind of a decent size off season in the middle of that year. And that second prep I did, I was very food focused by the end. And I, you know, I did okay for, for a newer competitor, but I was very food focused And then after that, I kind of realized that that was not healthy for me. Like it was not healthy Mm -hmm. for me to be scrolling Instagram and saving Buzzfeed tasty posts of food I'm going to make after the show. Right. And and exactly. Right. Like it's not, that's not good for any of us. And the further I got into competing, the less I cared about food. And it's, it's such a cheesy expression. It's like, but you should be hungry for winning. Like you shouldn't be hungry for food. You should be hungry for a win. And, and if you are getting really food focused, I agree with you. There's, there's definitely a correlation between just how serious, like how serious can you be if you're mm-hmm. constantly, you know, obsessing and, you know, giving the food, all this power and all this mental energy you've got, you're giving the food, all this mental energy, that's less energy going into your prep and actually focusing on the things you need to do. Exactly. Exactly. Like people will ask me, like, even at my show, there's this past um, September, they're like, where do you have you where do you want to eat after I was like I don't know I don't know what's around here and they're like you haven't looked at anything I'm like I don't look at anything until after breeding <laughs> yeah. I'm like well, well like, I'm, I'm even then I'm just like oh we'll go there I'm not even gonna look at my let's just go there I'll be like hey yeah. you pick for me like I'm, yeah. I'm freaking focused right now you know that's a great point so let me ask you this um you know this is this is bikini things right so obviously you coach both male and female athletes but I would argue too, there's a little bit, maybe different sports psychology that we would use with women. Has there any, has there been any like learning research or any things that you've just picked up learning to coach women? Because I do, I do want to acknowledge this too. You had an amazing year with your bikini athletes. I mean, number one, Deanna Dang won the USA turned pro this year. Um, you know, Noel, she missed her pro card by one placing, I think twice this year. Twice. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then Jen Butters also, you know, placing really strong in that, you know, just kind of missed that first call out at NPC nationals as well. And I'm, I may be missing other athletes too, but those are, 
those are a few that, you know, are kind of have been out here in California. So I, they're kind of front of mind for me. So what do you, what do you think is, um, is there, is there any difference to coaching women or there's any things you've learned to help, help your athletes be so successful in the sport? So one of the biggest thing, and this, it does pertain to women, but not just women is like, for me, like when it comes to me competing, like I have like a one track, like state of mind. And it's just like, get this done at all fucking costs. Like, like I tell people like some of my competitors who like struggle with thinking they can't do something. I'm like, dude, or like, can't like stand their diet. You know what I mean? I'm like, personally, and this is like completely true. I have not cheated on a prep diet, like off season. Okay. Like I might go out and eat, you know what I mean? I've not cheated on a prep diet since 2014. That was my first year working with RL and I was like, this is never going to happen again. Haven't had one thing off diet since then. Um, and just because I was that way, I feel like I was like, when I first started coaching, I was like very, very hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm still hard on my athletes when it warrants it. But the biggest thing I learned through coaching women actually is like being more empathetic. You know what I mean, being more empathetic, being more understanding. Um, obviously like women go through things like periods and whatnot. Like there is a difference there. Like during that period there, like I noticed it time and time again. And it's really just like taking the time to like sit down and understanding your athlete, understand where they're coming to, because they should be able to feel like they can talk to you like at any point. I mean, they, they shouldn't feel scared to talk to you. Um, and that's like one of the biggest things is like, for me now, if a woman's like, it's scared to talk to me, she's like, oh, I just don't want to disappoint you. I'm like, dude, you're never going to disappoint me to talk to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I'm super chill about it. Super cool about it. Um, really like that's it. But it's also like not babying anyone either. Cause like, dude, like how many women have you seen that are freaking savages and they'll like, we have so many people on my team, so many women on my team that can out train a guy on any other. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I, we have freaking savages on my team. Um, and so it's like not baby them either. You're like, you're per- perfectly capable of competing. You're perfectly capable of being like a fucking savage. You know what I mean? So it's just like reinforcing when need be like that mentality in them. Like, dude, you're just as fucking good as anyone else. Like don't let yourself like tell yourself any, any otherwise. You know what I mean? Um, besides that, honestly, like I'm trying to think if there's like anything crazy, like psychology off the top of my head. Um, but honestly, I feel like some women adhere better than men do to tell you the truth. Um, yeah, I don't really? know. I don't coach, I don't coach men. So I can't make that comparison, but that's Here's, honestly, I feel like a lot of time women are just like a lot easier to coach than men. I feel like men can sometimes be very hard headed or they'll mm-hmm. be like, but my last coach did this. And I'm like, I don't care where your last coach did. This is like what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll still get that here and then women. Um, but honestly, like I just noticed like, it's not all the time, but like a lot of the times they're easier to coach, more adherent. They're more prone to asking questions. You know what I mean? Which like for me, I'm never the type of coach that's like, because I said so. You ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. You might not yeah. always like the answer, but I'm always going to give you an answer. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. whether it's a scientific answer, whether it's like, um just like i don't know like sometimes i'm hard sometimes yeah, like it just it just mm-hmm. varies on the question but like ask more questions um but yeah like that's all i got for you on that one yeah yeah no just just curious i mean i think one of the one of the main things that i mean again i can't even draw the comparison because i don't prep men for shows but the you know traditional psychology literature or whatnot i'll just say women are you know we're more um we're more responsive to positive reinforcement, right? Like, you know, men, you can tell them you're a piece of shit, whatnot. If you tell a woman that she's probably going to be upset, you know, as a way to motivate someone. I agree with you a hundred percent. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%. That's where that empathy piece came in. It's just being Mm -hmm. not as hard and more empathetic, but still being hard when it warrants it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times I do like the little sandwich. I'm like, hey, you're doing good at this. You fucked this up. But you're doing good at this. You know what I mean? Like get that little sandwich Yeah, little little Um, compliment sandwich. But like, yeah, but like I'm never like an asshole about things or anything. Like I will be hard if I need to be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And on the contrary, like I don't, the only thing is like I don't gas someone up like for no reason like if I say something it's because I mean it and if I don't mean it I'm just not going to say anything you know what I mean like if I yeah so I, I am that way but it is definitely like an empathy thing for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I think too what you what you touched on earlier with just learning the hormonal health I think that's that's huge and, and again your athletes have done so amazing um, especially in the last year that's important because you'll hear you know I'll hear not horror stories, but I'll definitely hear negative experiences from other friends or competitors where they may have a male coach and, and it's clear that the coach does not understand hormonal issues because the direction they'll give the athlete, you know, maybe they're already imbalanced is not improving the situation. Right. And so then the poor, you know, the poor girl is like spinning mm-hmm. her wheels, still doing a ton of cardio, still, you know, kind of dieting, maybe even in an off season phase and her hormones are still out of whack. So I love to, I love to hear that. It, and yeah, it's very commendable how well, how well not, yep. not only just your female athletes, but all your athletes have done. Yeah. And I see that time and time again, and something to point out to the last question too, that ties in with what you just said is it's stress. You know, women are more prone to stress. All right. And stress is just like a prep killer. It's one of the biggest prep killers, like the silent prep killer. And a lot of those coaches you, you spoke of, they're like, like a woman will be like, I'm feeling this. And they're like, suck it up, go harder. You know what I mean, and really they're just increasing this um, allostatic amount of stress. And then it just gets worse. You know what I mean? They start looking worse. They start holding onto water. Mm-hmm. They start getting bloated. And they're like, okay, do more cardio now. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's not mm-hmm. what's needed. Like you should be pulling back right now. You should be giving rest days. You should be adding food in. You know what I mean? It's just being mm-hmm. able to identify um, those yeah. scenarios. So uh, what, what advice would you give to either fellow competitors, um, you know, new competitors that look up to you or, or any advice for maybe your, your fellow coaches or trainers? Advice for a fellow competitor. Um, so I have, pre- I have precision coaches um, that, you know, um, are part of the precision team as well. And one of the precision coaches, his name's Connor. Um, he made a great post today and it was about like competitors were like, I want to go pro. Right. And what he said was like, he gave this, gave this great analogy. And what it was, it was like, you know, you have this guy, right. This applies to both the men and women. He's like, you have this guy and he's like, he wants to be a, a pro baseball player. And he goes to wherever he needs to go. And he's like, Hey, turn me into a pro baseball player. And the guy's like, okay, let's do it. This is how long it's going to take this is what you need to do. And he's like, Oh, but I want to do it in six months. Right. Like yeah. that'd be realistic yeah. to you. You know what I mean? And like bodybuilding is no different. And I think the biggest thing is for a new competitor, it's like, have those goals, have those big goals. Right. But don't have crazy unrealistic expectations of yourself or the coach. And like, again, like that's not to say like you should be hard on yourself or that you shouldn't have like strive for greatness because you should, but it's like, I always tell people like, go step by step, like go, Hey, I want to take, you know, I want to first get to a show because most people don't even know what it takes to get to a show and, you know, look fairly amount of good. And it's like, now I want to take first place. Now I want to take an overall. Okay. Now I want to go to the, the national stage and actually look like I belong. 
okay, now, you know, then you, you talk about getting in the top five and now it's just you talk about getting your pro card. You know what I mean? And then you, you do the same thing with the pro circuit, building your way up to Olympia, right? But so many people, I can't tell you, I literally once, at least once a day, have someone hit me up and they say, I want to be an Olympian. And I'm like, have you done a show before? No. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I have want you dieted before? Exactly. And I'm just yeah. like the unrealistic unreal- expectations that these people have. And not only that, but it's almost like disrespectful because they think it's so easy. Like you, you're a pro. How easy is it to go to the freaking Olympia? It's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing easy about it, let alone being a pro, especially in the sport nowadays. Like you were it's at just nationals. more and more competitive. Stalled, oh my gosh. You saw the lineup at nationals. I have never seen a pro show like no. that. No. Sorry, an amateur show like that. Yeah, ever. that was that was the ever. most competitive national show I've ever watched. Did every single person, almost every single person in those top five look like a pro? Like, oh yeah. They did. Yeah, and some of they yeah, did. some I was of like, blown. bikini, some of them, it was like all, out of all of them, you know, maybe there are 30 girls in a class. Maybe two of them look like they shouldn't have been in a national show. Like the other 28. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've never seen anything like it. And like for these people or at least, you know, potential athletes to be like, Hey, I want to turn pro this year and never do a show. I'm like, dude, what about all these people who are busting their ass to even get to, you know, that top two at NBC nationals, like, like they're going to laugh in your face. You know what I mean? Cause you know how hard of work it, it takes to put, or how much work it takes um, into getting to that level. And um, so that's my biggest piece of advice is like, dude, like take the time, grow. Like, look at me. It took me seven national shows. And then I went into the pro league and top five. You know what I mean? At my pro debut. And then again, at my classic pro pro debut, like take the time, grow. Don't be in a rush. Don't get stuck on doing show after show after show as an amateur. If you're not getting to the level you need to be, take that time to grow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then same thing as a coach, like the biggest thing I wish I would have done as a coach earlier on is I know I told you, like I did hours and hours of research, but even more research because my time is spread so thin now that like, I have to like, literally like stay up late at night to like get in that research, you know what I mean? To get in that mm-hmm. continuing education. It's like stack as much education as you can. And keep in mind, like there's no great books out there that teach you how to be a bodybuilding coach. There really is that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, do these mentorships hit up people it's as easy as i taught a class um last august i believe um last maybe it was like july i don't even know I taught a class last year and it was like on pretty much on how to get to like this level of coaching and the steps to take like education wise and it's like dude just like learn as much as you can like it's as simple as like reaching out to someone and most coaches will help you like you might have to pay them for the information and rightfully so but like if you're willing to cough up the money which is worth it like they're willing to mentor you. You know what I mean? And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Like I would hit people and be like, Hey, like specific people who are good at a specific thing. I'd be like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Next person. I'm like, I like how you do that. What do you do to get to that point? You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and it's been like, um, you know, a mix of all these styles where I've created my own style through that. And I've been able to see um, different trends and different patterns. Right. And it's just like, as a new coach, like, don't be so focused on making money. Don't be so focused on getting as, my, as many clients as you can. The clients will come. The athletes will come. And it's just like, like build up to that point. You know what I mean? And so it's like kind of the same for both athlete and coach. Love just that. taking the time. Taking the time, yeah. not expecting to be at the top in one freaking year. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, one thing too that you're you're saying, but you're not saying outright is like be realistic, right? Like be objective be with yourself, mm-hmm. be realistic, 
you know, for, for someone like me, like, you know, I think back when I started competing is like, I wanted to turn pro my first year. And then by my second year, I realized how far I had to go and how much weight I needed to gain before I'd get there. So just kind of Mm -hmm. having that perspective. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not to say like, again, that you shouldn't have expectations because expectations are great. Goals are great. You know, dreams are great. Like I have, I still now have dreams, you know what I mean? And it's just like, okay, what steps do I need to take to get to those dreams instead of going step A to Z, you know what I mean? Like you got to hit the steps in between. So that's like, that's the biggest thing that and like reverse correctly (laughs) for you competitors out there, just reverse correctly. That's like huge piece of advice and find a good coach, do your research, find a good coach. Um, Like that will make the world a difference. There you go. Awesome. And we'll, uh, we'll include all your information too. So if people want to hit you up for coaching, they'll know how to reach out. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. So, so before we wrap, wrap up, well, I'd love to hear what are your plans for, for this year? Like, what do you, you know, do you have any goals for 2022? Do you have shows picked out or, or goals for your business or personal life or anything like that? Yeah. So both actually. Um, so we spoke a little bit about this before we went live. But, um, I did just move to Texas. I moved to Austin, Texas. However, I do still have a place in San Diego. So I'm coaching out of like both locations, kind of both locations are home-based. And it's just to like really keep doing that, you know, really pay attention to clients. And to be honest, like my clients are like everything to me. My athletes are everything to me. Um, I focus on them more than I focus on my own progress, to tell you the truth. Because um, I, I feel like as a coach, if you're competing, that's, you need to be that way. You know what I mean? Like you have to. Um, and I know once I get to the point where if I, if I get to that point where I'm like, which I will, where it's like, okay, if me competing is competing on, you know, my client's progress, I will stop competing. You know what I mean? As much as I love it, I love bodybuilding, but like, I love putting my athletes on stage. I love coaching. Like it's mm-hmm. such a passion of mine. Um, so really this year I do plan on stepping on stage. Um, it's probably going to be in October. Um, I did have a few injuries just this, um, towards the tail end of the year that I had to deal with. Um, so like I literally just started my off season like three weeks ago, like officially, um, so I probably will compete about October and, you know, we're gunning for that Olympia qualification. Um, and we'll do as many shows as need be to get there. Um, you know, granted health is in check. And then for athletes, dude, we have such a sick roster of athletes competing this year. Just like I've had athletes, been, like a lot of people have taken two years off for this season. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I'm never the type of coach. Like you'll see a lot of coaches who they just like, keep pressing people to compete because numbers at shows get the math. You know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. me, like the cool thing and um, person who said it to me was uh, James Hurst. You know, James, um, yeah. James Hurst was like, he was like, dude, you're coming to these shows with one to two people. And almost every time, like they're gunning for the overall, the, both of them, you know what I mean? For whatever mm-hmm. division they're in. And that's my mm-hmm. goal. My goal is for like every person I step on stage to be the best. if not one of the best up there. And again, this year, like we have a lot of shows we're doing. We're going to clients doing, you know, junior nationals, universe, USA, um, nationals, um, don't have anyone set for North Americans right now, but just a bunch of regional shows in between. And it's just going to be really fun to see where everyone lands. Of course, like, again, going back to NBC nationals this past year, the sport just leveled up. You know what I mean? And if I didn't see that show, I would be like, yo, we're getting hella pro cards this year. But because of that show, I'm like, I'm very, I like really want to see where this, where my uh, athletes stand up this year. Cause like, to me, like right now they look freaking unbeatable, but of course like you put them on stage, you don't know. 
Um, but we have a sick roster this year. So it's really just crushing these shows, competing myself and just like having an amazing freaking year. Awesome. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there will still be hella pro cards. So those are, those are some awesome goals. Well, and I hope, I hope you achieve all of them. Very cool. So before, before we wrap up, how can people, how can people find you? One is obviously Instagram. So the handle is will sage underscore super easy. And then if you guys want to check out the website, it is teamprecisionelite.com. And so one of those is the best way. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Will. it was great chatting with you. Of course, dude. This was a lot of fun. I mean, we talked a little bit longer than I even thought we would. Like that was yeah. kind of fun. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and give us a follow over on Instagram at bikini underscore things. Catch you in the next episode.